Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we give you the praise, the glory, the honor, and we bless you and we thank you, Lord even before we celebrate the national day of thanksgiving but you are worthy to be thanked every moment of our day you are altogether holy and wonderful and when we think and think of all the goodness that you have granted through jesus how can we not thank you lord help us to be grateful Help us always, O God, to lift up our hearts in worship and our lips to be able to publish the goodness of God. This morning, Lord, we gather together and cognizant it is you. You are the center of our concentration, the center of our focus, the center of our worship. And this experience of thanking you, Lord, becomes not just individual, but collective as a people of God, and we give you thanks Lord, not only the precious people that are here, but those that are watching would enjoy this this experience with you in giving thanks and praise to you. Touch lives, reach out to people, oh God, in their deepest needs in the situation. Only you know whether it's salvation or whether it backsliders come back or whether, oh God, to meet needs according to your riches and glory. I pray that you do it even as we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to the Word. We're careful to give you glory and honor and praise. Through Jesus Christ our Lord and all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Amen and Amen. Welcome everyone that are here and also those that are watching. And we're so glad that you could come together and uh, be in this morning's worship and gathering together. I do want to say how important it is as we, as a nation, celebrate the National Day of Thanksgiving 23, and particularly as we reflect uh, on Thanksgiving 1621, is historical in terms of the American history, but when you look beyond that, it is really a biblical history, particularly when you take into account not only the Thanksgiving in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. So. In a concise way, in the next few minutes, I'd like to close with thanksgiving according to the Bible, or what's in the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. It's a wonderful opportunity to go into the Word of God and particularly reflect the prayer of our Lord Jesus, or the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ taught the disciples. That is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, our Father. But in verse 10, he says, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So what we pray is your kingdom come, that it be enforced as people of God who stand in the gap and pray, and that your will, what is it in heaven, would be done here on earth. So what is in heaven is reflected as we pray that his kingdom come, and all that is in heaven would be here on earth. You know the message of the angels literally was so amazing, especially after the the, the greetings, annunciation by Gabriel to um, Mary, mother of our Lord, and then turns the attention to what would be humble shepherds. Because you read the 
amazing words that were spoken to these unlearned shepherds, uh, despite the fact there would have been many that would have been open to, but they were not really ready to at that point. But in Luke chapter 2 and verse 13 and verse 14, particularly verse 14, it is glory to God in the highest and on earth be peace. So the glory and honor and praise and worship to God in its highest. That's reflected as we do on earth, there would be peace here on earth. So it's very important for us to understand what is it in heaven and what it is about, particularly with regard to Thanksgiving in heaven, that we could find, particularly as we enter on Thanksgiving Day this Thursday. Let me just say, very important, because when you turn to the book of Revelation, this is something that is way beyond eons of years before the beginning of time. And right at this present, to at the end and completion and far beyond eons of years, even when time shall be no more and we will be in eternity, measured not by trillions and zillions or whatever years we have entered, and then again there would be worship and praise and thanksgiving. Worship comes from our spirit, and worship is about totally about who God is, and everything about God, His attributes, His goodness, His mercy, His holiness. But when you think about thankfulness or thanksgiving, it is to think on all He has done. And so it's very important we understand what exactly is happening in heaven, way beyond time, and right at this present, and long after when time will cease and be no more, and we are merged into eternity. What I find so amazing is it is uh, the book of Revelation is marvelous. And then when the angel catch, uh, when the Spirit of God brings John up, he says in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 2, I saw a door open and there was a throne. But when you turn to chapter 4 and verse 9, it is nothing but praise, worship, thanksgiving. And when those beasts, that is the four, what would be angelic, or what would be divine beings, uh, they are basically living creatures, literally that would be the best term for this. When these four living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and forever. What is remarkable is these are four what would be living creatures. Uh, they are not human. They are not in any sense compared to any personal in the Old or the New Testament. But they are totally, completely, that the best we could understand them is basically Ezekiel and Isaiah talks about uh, and again, it could be far greater than the cherubims and, and seraphims, but nevertheless, they are very close proximity to God, and they worship. And what you find is they're using the word glory, honor, thanks to him that sat on the throne. I can understand glory, and I can understand honor, but thanks for what? Because they know every aspect of God's move and everything that he has done. They're so grateful. The fact that they are ordained to be and destined to be close to God, but more than that, they have seen everything, particularly with regard to uh, planet Earth, a, a planet in rebellion, and God's great mercy and goodness in sending his son Jesus Christ into the world. They are so uh, all with worship and praise and thanksgiving. So when you turn to verse 10, the moment they do that, 
the 24 elders fall down uh, before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and forever and cast their crowns before the throne and they say glory and honor and so forth. This is unto God the Father and this is profuse worship all the way to verse 11. But when you turn to chapter 5, it is simply the worship now is to the Son. And this is the heart of the Father that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted up. And when you realize that every knee will bow and every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So when you turn to chapter 5, it is profuse with praise and worship and honor all of this to the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, I want you to understand when you turn to chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 12, the word thanksgiving is again mentioned. And this is uh, saying, Amen, blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving, honor and power and might be unto our God forever and forever. So this is something that has taken place and taking place and continue to take place in heaven. And what you find is remarkable because when you turn to chapter 7 and verse 9, after this, and this is remarkable, I beheld and know a multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. That is the redeemed. That is those that have died and have, have, have been persecuted for their faith. But again, the company of people that will ultimately be filled and then the glorious uh, aspect of the coming of the Lord Jesus. But I want you to understand the words that are uttered by, uh, the again, the, be, uh, the living creatures brings glory and honor. And again, the word thanksgiving to God. This is very profound. This is so unbelievably uh, amazing because it's total thanksgiving, total praise and glory and honor. What you find is when you turn to chapter 11 and verse 17 of the book of Revelation, again we have told there is thanks be to God, saying we give thanks to you, O Lord Almighty, which was and which, uh, which art and which was and which is to come, because thou hast taken, thou hast taken to thee the great power and has reigned forever and forever. So there is again, we give you thanks. This is thanksgiving to God, apart from the blessing and honor and glory and all of that. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, the word is hallelujah, praise the Lord. Verse 4 again, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Verse 5, 6 again says hallelujah, simply means in any language, praise the Lord, give, we give you thanks. Again, it is this chapter that talks about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who will come on a stallion that is yet to be. But this is something that we find in heaven from the chapter 4 all the way to the end is simply praise, glory, honor, worship, and thanksgiving to God. And this is something in heaven. So again, the prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ taught every one of us uh, through his disciples was simply, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth right here as it is in heaven. So what happened? Why is it there is no profuse and profound praise? Why is it that we've lost it? It does not come from within our hearts. We don't put our thinking cap to think 
and thank God. And particularly during the seasons, in these last days, people are ungrateful. The Bible tells us that Paul writes to Timothy, what is it that is wrong? What happened? It began even before the pristine Garden of Eden. In fact, there was a battle in heaven, and it goes all the way back to Lucifer. I want you to understand, the angelic being in heaven are thanking God because of his greatness and because of his grace that is displayed uh, to entire universe, and particularly to this earth that doesn't deserve it, a planet in rebellion, as I said. But when you look at it, Lucifer was the one that brought praise to God. In close proximity, angel that is like an angel of light that is profusely so beautiful, completely wired up with an orchestra, all within himself. He could be all the instrument, and he wrote songs. He played those songs before God. What happened? I want you to realize, in the midst of all that was taking place, somehow he forgot. And somehow, greed and pride crept into him. Instead of who he is, made to worship, him who created all things, he began to focus upon himself. Why don't I get the praise? Lucifer, you are a creation. He is the creator. Big difference. But somehow this thought came in, and you find this in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13. He's thinking about what I would do, and five times, I will, I will, I will, Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne, I will sit upon the mount, I will, I will, I will, and suddenly in his heart, and moving beyond to the will he wanted not to say, I will continue to worship. I will. In other words, focus upon myself. And the first thing we find, what thanksgiving is not, thanksgiving is not pride. And the opposite of thanksgiving is simply be focused on oneself and all about me, myself, and my position. And this is where Lucifer lost. If anything, it was not thanksgiving. It is the opposite of thanksgiving. I will exalt myself. I will sit upon the throne. I will be like unto the most high. And I want that center of focus. I want that praise. And that is anything but thanksgiving. And what you find, it creeps in, and you find he basically brings the nation into this very thing of ingratitude. So when you turn to Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse 15, look at what it says. He was found wanting. In other words, you were perfect in all your ways from the day thou was created. God made him perfect. So beautiful so full of worship to the Creator, to God, until iniquity. There was no more thanks to God, but all about thanks to me. It's no more God is number one, I am number one. 
And again, an aspect of how could you forget? That that's the reason why you're here for God's grace and God's greatness. He forgot it because until iniquity, pride. And this is everything opposed to thanksgiving. And you find he inculcates this when you read the entire chapter, the nations and the commercial and every aspect of the world in which we live. It all begins when man was created. We don't know how long it began, but they enjoy what would be the pristine garden with its beautiful fellowship. What more could Adam ever have wanted, Adam and Eve? They had a joy of walking with the Creator in the cool of the day, which, of course, was not given to Lucifer, none of the angels. For God made man something so unique. I will make man after my own image, unlike any of the creations or creatures. Man was made the uniqueness to have fellowship with God, and God walked with him in the cool of the day. What a privilege, what a position, what a joy, what a blessing. I want you to understand they were blessed with so much, zillions and zillions and all that you could imagine. And when you turn to chapter 3 and verse 6, the fruit was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired. Satan comes creeping as a serpent and comes and places clever ploy. And what he does is so subtly and, amaz and, and, and deceptively uh, deceives this woman and then the man. They ate of that. Hold it just for a moment. Adam and Eve, what happened? You find just like the opposite of thanksgiving is pride. In this case, not only that, but it begins with the opposite, simply a forgetfulness. We don't know how long Adam and Eve, and Eve had this wonderful relationship with the Creator, with, the, with God eternal, immortal, invisible. And then all of a sudden, I want to be like God. I want to have knowledge of everything. I want everything that, what is it that you don't possess? God gave you power and dominion. You are the wise regent under God on planet Earth. Everything, whether it be the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, the rock kingdom, the mineral kingdom, anything, you are under God having dominion. What is it that you lack? This die of horrible ungratefulness was injected into the first man and woman, and they forgot. How could you forget? You know, you and I think about, oh, I'd like to retire maybe in paradise. If we could find one, uh, maybe Hawaii. Now, that's frightening to ask about that. No offense to you. <laughs> and again, maybe somewhere in the Caribbean. But let me just remind you, Adam and Eve was in the pristine garden of Eden, the most beautiful. There was nothing that they ever, ever lacked. They had everything. All power, position, what is it that you lack? How can you be so ungrateful? The sin 
of forgetfulness. Haven't you forgotten? God lifted you up. And just like Lucifer, the fact is, I got to be like God. I got to be a God. I got to be in charge. You are everything God made you. And then began what would be a sad plight of man. And that's why when a person is born, he doesn't say, I give you praise. He said, give me, give me, give me, give me. His prayers, give me, give me, give me. Amen, give me. Never to give to God. It is the sin of forgetfulness as it is the sin of pride. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 and 22 is very plain. What happened? If you turn to this passage, it's very strong. Because when they knew God, Lucifer knew God, Adam and Eve knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imagination and their foolish heart was darkened. That is the story of how this miserable act of horrible unthankfulness crept into the universe. And we are all victims of it until we come to God and recognize Him and never forget His goodness, His mercy, His grace. So in this study that I want to do first of the Old Testament, you find the most important thing about thankfulness is God doesn't make a law that we have to hype it to for people to be thankful. It must come from within one's own spirit, one's own heart. In fact, when you turn to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 4, you're going to find an aspect of worship and thanksgiving. And the archaeologists tell us the first thing you could ever find is a stone of sacrifice as ancient, wherever you go, whether it be the deepest corners of Africa, or Asia, or Europe. It's just this, it's an aspect of worship. But here begins, not too long after Adam and Eve were thrown out, here comes the two children, Adam, uh, Abel, and Cain, and they were to offer thanks and worship. Cain offered what was the fruit of his own labor, but Cain brought the firstling of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Cain was wrought. But you know what? God is gracious. Learn from this. Learn what I want. Learn how thanks is, is comes from your heart, the right way. And in verse 7, God is instructing uh, Cain, if you do well, thou shalt not, will thou not be accepted? If you will not do well, sin lies at the door, and unto you shall his desire, and you shall rule over him. Otherwise, he will rule over you. And so it is a very instructive moment, but he didn't take the instruction. It was pride, it was ungratefulness also springing into exactly the opposite of thankfulness called hate. Pride, forgetfulness, hate, and Cain killed his brother. 
You know what I find is not only in the beginning of what would be the first days on this earth, but it continues all through, and you can see that even as God called Abraham, and from his seeds God called a nation. And if you would think they learned it, no, they didn't. They had seen the marvelous works of God, display of God's power like you and I have never ever seen. With might, with power, God rescued them from the power of Egypt and from their stiff-necked Pharaoh. Think about this, my friend. Such display of raw power. Might of God, the right hand of God extended to save them and deliver them. And they came with a mighty mighty hand of God, and in chapter 15 of the book of Exodus, they come out of the Red Sea, and here is Miriam going on to praise God with a symbol, and the people danced and worshipped the right way. They thank God for what they just saw. But remember this, sin of pride, sin of forgetfulness, and sin of hate creeps in if we're not careful. It could happen in a spirit-filled environment. Each and every one of us are responsible to make sure our hearts and our imaginations are clean and our will to do the will of God. So you find the story of amazing way in chapter 15. They hit, basically, after the worship, they hit Mara, where the water is salty, and, uh, and suddenly, it was the miracle of God that it becomes sweet. They've seen another miracle. By the time you come from Mara, you have come to Elim, which is basically an oasis. They have all things to give thanks to God for. Now God is trying to see what's in their heart. Deuteronomy chapter 8 talks about it. But when you turn to chapter 16 of the book of Exodus, look how it begins. Now from there, they have entered into the desert of sin, which is between Elim, and now they are preparing to depart out of the land of Egypt. Look at what it says in verse 2. It says, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. In the wilderness. In a time of testing, what's in your heart? It'll come out. And what was so unbelievable, just a month ago, they, they were delivered from Egypt. A month ago, they had seen the glory of God in seeing the Red Sea depart. They saw the hand of God, the power of God, the smoke, and the pillar. They seen it all. And they forgot. They forgot. So if you could think of even worse, now they are speaking from within their heart, their feelings. In other words, I'm happy if I got a job. I've got a house. I've got a promotion. I've won the lottery ticket. But in an empty stomach, and when I don't have the job, and when things go rough in the wilderness, I have nothing to be grateful to. So in verse 3, you can see what they are saying. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God, 
We had died by the hand of God. Excuse me. It's the hand of God that rescued you, that fed you, that kept you, that covered you, that covered and blessed you in every aspect. Would to God we had died by... Now they're directly touching not just the servants, but the hand is getting a little close for comfort. The hand that bless is also the hand that will correct and discipline. And it says, the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pot. Excuse me, you had what? Beef and mutton and chicken and turkey. What exactly did you have? You didn't get that maybe one time a year? What flesh pot are you talking about except you see your dead bodies of your family members? You all were slaves. They were cruel, hard taskmasters. How could you forget? You know what? Our imagination and our mind plays a trick on us. Oh, you don't understand. Before I was saved, I was a very fortunate man. And then Jesus saved me. You want to hear testimonies like this? I got saved. But before that, I was doing very well. You were not doing well. You were running all the way to hell. You were not doing well. You were dying. Now look what they say. We were, when we sat by the flesh pot, when we did eat bread to the full. Excuse me, Egyptians ate bread for the full. And you were watching them. And they were saying, give me, give me, please, if you could just a little bit. Have you forgotten? Our mind plays all sorts of games if we're not careful. They talked about the leeks and the onions and all of the fruits of Egypt. My goodness, they were working like slaves to get this for their masters, not for themselves. And you find we did eat bread to the full for we have brought us forth into the wilderness to kill us with hunger. Excuse me, didn't you see the hand of God? The sin of forgetfulness. That's why, think and thank God. Some people say, when you come to the church, don't put your thinking cap on. What do you, an imbecile? Think what God has done for you. And then thank him for what he has done. What you find is so tragic because three times Abraham, Moses is saying, rather mildly, he's a PRO to God probably. He says, listen, God has heard in verse 7, God has heard your murmurings. Verse 8, God has heard your murmuring. Verse 9, God has heard your murmuring. No, no, no. No. Moses, quit playing the PRO with these guys. God heard and was angry. And you stood in between them. God was angry with the murmuring from what their heart. Ungrateful. At one moment he says, step aside, Moses. I'll handle this people. But he's saying, God heard your murmuring. Now God heard and he was furious because they did not have a heart of thanksgiving. They forgot him. Lest you forget is a word that he writes in the book of Deuteronomy. Lest you forget. Numbers chapter 11 verse 1. You hear this completely done in this life of the history of people in the wilderness. 
When the people complained, they displeased God, and the heart, God heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of burned them among them, consumed them, they were in the uttermost parts of the camp. What was their complaint? God gave them manna. What is it? That's what it means. And then God gave them quail. Wow! From heaven, the quails just came in and fell right in the camp. Manna came down, fed them. What is their response? Here in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 6. It's nothing! We are fed up! The sin of not being content. The sin of not being content. You know, God lifts you. You're happy for that day. And then you said, why don't you make me the CEO? That is not only in the natural, but in the spiritual. So you have prophets called P-R-O-F-I-T. They want to make you and lift you up and lift you up until you, tomorrow you're a nobleman. The next time you're a king. The next time you're a pope. What more can he make you? People want to be exalted, even the spiritual. Paul said, I know how to be in the state of contentment, whether I'm full or whether I'm in empty. Our soul is dried up. There is nothing at all besides these men before our eyes. The food of the angels, they look down upon. How many have looked down upon their inheritance, their first birth, the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, the manifest prayers. Oh my God. When you think about this, my friend, maybe one of the reasons that God incorporated the law that would be the sacrifice of thanksgiving, lest we forget. Now I want you to understand it's very important because when you turn to the book of Leviticus, you're going to find in chapter 7 from verse 11, but let's read verse 12 and 13. It says, this is the Lord, and what is it? If he offer thanks for thanksgiving, then he shall offer it with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened. So God incorporated this, lest they forget. There were festivals, and there were feasts, but this just in case they forget. To be sure, it's repeated in a more elaborate way, in Luke chapter 22 and verse 29. And look what it says towards the end. In Leviticus chapter 22 and verse 29. In this it says, this is, you will offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord. And listen to the rest. Offer it at your own will. What is your will? How goes your heart? I can't hype you into giving telling you stole stories and pathetic stories and say the whole building will crumble if you don't give, please. 45 minutes of hyping, giving, 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 and people give because they're being squeezed, but it doesn't come from their heart. It comes from emotion. It comes be a force to. Did it really come? And people in the West are so used to giving for all the hype, they don't give from their hearts. So when churches don't make a plea, they don't give. It's simply, they don't want to be beggars. They want to tell you what the need is and let it come from your heart. And what happens here is God made this so it will come from your own will. 
It is something that you say, I will, I want to. It's my pleasure to give. And this is, comes from a heart of thanksgiving. A heart and sacrifice, it is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. You can read all about this. You know, one of the things you find, the book of Psalms is full of what would be thanksgiving because it comes from a man. He's not the most perfect man, but he's a man after God, so not. And what is it? In the ups and downs of his life, and he had his mistakes, but there's something you need to understand that he was profusely grateful to God. I mean, I, none of us would want to be like King David. He went through a lot of trials. He went through a top, lot of trials. He went through a lot of temptation. But there's something through it all, a man with a heart just to give thanks to God. Read his personal diary, the ups and downs, but in it all you find thanksgiving, thanksgiving, thanksgiving. And he knows at one point he wanted to buy a land to basically build a temple. The man was willing to give it for free. He said, how could I give something to God that which not cost me nothing? I'm not doing that. It must come with a price. I will pay the price that I will never forget. It is a price that I have paid hard for. It's worth it because it comes with a price. It comes from his heart. Very profuse in giving like King Ezekiah. A spirit of thanksgiving called a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It comes from the heart. And that's why God loved these men. They're not perfect by any means. But they are blessed by God. People after God's own heart. And that is something you win the heart of God. He's not forcing it. But he's telling you what's in your heart. You know, when it comes to getting, we all are getters. When it comes to giving, we say, oh, you know, I don't believe in tithes. Yeah, then you should be giving more. We're not under the law. When you look at this passage, my friend, in the history of Israel, you find so many remarkable stories and incidents that will help us. When you read first. Chronicles chapter 16 is a remarkable incident where you find David had tried to bring the ark of God. It cost him a lot because he didn't get the full information. And it's important that we understand everything that we need to know and everything that God has put into his manual. But in this aspect of this bringing the ark on a new cart just was displeasing to God. That was not the way God wanted. And at the cost of one of the Levites being struck. David was so frightened. For a long time he was so frightened and then he overcame that because of profuse thanksgiving. I got to have the presence of God in Jerusalem. I'm willing to risk it again. But this time he studied it and put things in the right as, as, he, as his men went into the, the words of God and found out how to do it right. Now he's bringing the ark into the city of Jerusalem. So we begin in First Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 1. And look what it says. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they burned, uh, offered burnt uh, sacrifices and peace offering before God. 
part of the peace offering is also sacrifice of joy. And from then onwards, you can see the song that comes out of this king. You can see what's in his heart. Oh yeah, he was hurt. He was going through a lot. Oh my God, I don't want to make a mistake. It could be terrible. No, no, no. His desire to have the presence of God where the city would be blessed. So when you read verse 7, you see these powerful words in which he says, On that day God, David delivered first the psalm to thank the Lord unto the hands of Asaph. And he told the Asaph and his family, this is what I like to create these songs, create musicians, create everything that would be the worship and thanksgiving to God. And so what were the words in verse 8 is very profuse. It goes on to say, oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Make it known. Verse 9 goes on to say, sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk you of all his wondrous work. Tell everyone what he has done for us. Verse 28, we can't go through the whole chapter. Verse 28, he goes on to say, give unto the Lord, you kindreds of people, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Verse 29 goes on to say, give unto the Lord glory due to his name, bring an offering and come before him, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's where you find that Psalm 29 and verse 1. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Worship the Lord in the beauty, in the beauty of holiness. And then comes these songs from the heart of David, who's filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. I want you to realize this is so powerful because you're going to find the worship and praise and the order of thanksgiving in the Old Testament. This is very powerful. There comes a time when thanksgiving can be very difficult to the point where it can be banned. You know, it's hard to say, but nations are changing. I could not believe when I went back to India, it's not the same place. You cannot publicly proclaim and it's sad you have to hide your Bible in some places. But it's happening all over the world. It's happening in the Middle East in every place, including Israel. All over the Middle East, we understand. And you have the likes of ISS and others. But it's all over. It's coming to America where it's going to be very difficult. It all depends on who will have the heart to reach out to the man on top or the woman on top and change things by an edict. And it happened to a man named Daniel in Babylon. When you turn to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 7, there were people who impressed upon King Darius, and this is what he's, they should do. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governor and the princes, the councils, the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoso shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save all king, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lion. They already made a plan what to do. So David heard it the next day. Uh, Daniel heard it. And what do you think he... Over the years, he has been faithful to God. Over the years, he's been a man of prayer, a man of wisdom, a man of strength, a man of great influence, a man of great wisdom. And he has a great position with even Darius. So he knew what's going to take place. He knew exactly where... He would be, not simply his head would be cut, but he'd be thrown into the den of lions. That's basically what they said, not by hanging, not by execution, but it is simply den of lion. So it's all laid out there. 
What do you think you're going to do? Don't do anything crazy. You could lose your life, you could lose your family, you could lose your position, you could lose your influence. You would be kaput gone. Daniel knew it all. Don't give thanks. If you have to give thanks, you got to give to the man in North Korea. No, in America too. What do you think Daniel did? There in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, I want you to realize the absolute determination of a man. When Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went to his house and his windows being opened. Daniel! These guys are watching you. They know what you will do. Don't! Let my windows be opened. Let the whole world know that I want to give thanks to God. It says here, his chambers towards Jerusalem, he knelt upon his knees three times, not one, not two, three times a day, and prayed and gave thanks unto his God as he did, not yesterday, not today, for many before that, years. Daniel, what's wrong with you? All he could say is, how could not I ever thank God? Why should I not thank God? All these years he's done me nothing but good. I am here because of God. I am who I am because of God. My health is because of God. My position is because of God. And I have nothing but thanks be to God. That is a powerful statement. Nothing is going to stop me from praising because if I don't praise God, I might praise him when I go to the king's palace better in my bedroom than outside because my heart is bubbling and I will and I will and I will I will praise God whether I'm hungry or not whether I have a life sentence on me or not or if I've got to go to the den of lions I will praise the Lord You know what is remarkable? It's a public proclamation. It had vibration, revibration across the nation. But listen to what the king says in chapter 6 and verse 24. This is the edict of the king. King himself, nobody else making him do it. He's saying, the king directly from his heart, King Darius. And king commanded and they brought those men which accused him in verse 26. Yeah, this is his proclamation. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall be even unto the end. My kingdom will go but his kingdom will be forever and forever. What is it that Darius made? A choice, a decree, right over all the governors in the provincial head because he experienced the goodness of God through the thanksgiving of Daniel. Don't be afraid to give thanks to God. The people of Israel have come out of Babylon 
And now they've come to Babylon. What you find is a very difficult situation. You have the likes of Zerubbabel trying to build what would be a temple, and the likes of Ezra helping, and then, of course, this Nehemiah building the walls that were crumbled and broken. But when people came back, they were more crying than they were rejoicing because it's pathetic. Let's, let's be sure about it. Nothing compared to the old glory, nothing compared to the, to the great temple that Solomon built. This is nothing. It pales in comparison. And people who had seen the temple, old men, they began to cry. So pathetic. It's despair. But Nehemiah and Ezra began to build up the morale of the people. But let's just read Nehemiah chapter 11 and verse 17. He's gathering the people together. And there in the book of Nehemiah chapter 11 and verse 17, we find the words that they have come together to give thanks. But look at the order in which they do. This is the principal people from the sons of Asap. Was the principal to begin the thanksgiving prayer. So they've put into motion. We don't care how we feel like, but let's just get this together. Let's plan this together. Let's organize this together. Let's come together in that beautiful place up in Little Neck. Excuse me, I'm going beyond that. And just give thanks to God for what he's done for us with the building. Oh, let's just go back to the temple. So here is what this is a time of thanksgiving to God. And they have proclaimed that this is the man who will begin thanksgiving by prayer. To be sure, they begin to make plans. And this is how it is in verse 24. Two sets of people. So when you read in chapter 11 and verse 24, look what they do. This is massive planning. They get together and say that these are the people that are going to do this. And, um, well, uh, Nehemiah 11 Let's go down to 31. You're going to read the entire thing. You're going to find again and again. There are two sets of people, just like David commanded, and they're going to give praise. In chapter 12 and verse 31, I brought up the prince of Judah upon the wall and appointed two great companies of them that gave thanks, wherefore one went to the right and the other to the other side. It is so marvelous to see what they're doing. It's a big celebration. When you come to verse 40, you see that again. And this is, so stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and the half of the rulers with me. This is elaborate. This is real worship. Now there were people weeping, not for sadness, for joy, for what was taking place. And they were so profuse in giving thanks. And when you read this chapter, they get together and saying, give thanks to God for what he has done. Give thanks to God for what he has done. Think what he has done. Think of the goodness of God. Think of the mercies of God. And you hear the words of Israel, exactly the words of Nehemiah, going back to the, the writings of David, the Psalm of David. The way it ends in verse 46 is so beautiful. Look at what it says in for in the days of David and Asaph, there was chief of the singers and the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. Praise and thanksgiving to God. Never look down, even in the most difficult of time, give thanks to God. What I find in the New Testament is marvelous because we all know the prayer life of Jesus. We all know that. But do you know the praise life of Jesus? He's someone that we emulate. He's someone that is the leader. He's someone who is the, the one that has 
being the one that created our faith. And so when you think about the Lord Jesus, something so profound about him. The book of Hebrew tells a lot of things about him, that he was far beyond all things created, and he's far beyond every other power, and yet he was, when he came to the earth, created lower than an angel. As Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 became a man, humbled himself, and by the time you come to chapter 2, it says made lower and came all the way down. But listen to what chapter 2 and verse 11 talks about the Lord Jesus. This is amazing. It's about leading the church in thanks and praise to God. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, for both, uh, um, sorry, um, maybe, sorry, the next verse, verse 12, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12, saying, I will declare your name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto you. You find the praise of the Lord that is just as much as his prayer. You find over and over again, praise, 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 thanks, thanks, worship. If you were to take Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25, the Lord Jesus is thanking the Father because he made known his will, not to the wise and the prudent, but to simple people, revealed them unto babes. And the same thing is, is mentioned in Luke chapter 10 and verse 21. But we find in the New Testament something so remarkable was every time they gathered together, there was uh, a lot of Thanksgiving meal taking place. And it was instituted in the early church as well. But very profound was the fact that they broke bread and gave thanks. It's instituted by the Lord in every aspect, whether he sat with his disciples or whether he celebrated the sacraments of communion. If you were to take Matthew chapter 15 and verse 36, listen in one incident where he takes the loaves, seven loaves and fish and gave thanks, break it and gave to disciples and they disciples to the multitude. This is repeated in John chapter 6 and verse 11. Think for a moment. It says that Jesus took the loaves when he had given. They were hardly anything. They were nothing compared to the sizable crowd that was there. But one of the things of the power of thanksgiving is simply Jesus looked up to the Father and he took that little or nothing and he gave thanks and the next thing, he breaks it and distributes. Excuse me, how does the miracle? Thanks be to God. It's a step of faith, distributes, and there were 12 baskets full. When you look at the prayer life of Jesus, it coincides with the praise and thanksgiving to Jesus. When Lazarus, in the situation of Lazarus, John chapter 11 and verse 41, look at what it says about the Lord. It simply says, they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Think about it. Jesus, our Lord, becomes our master, our leader, and the one that we should follow. When you think about the most difficult time in his life, it was the very moment that he is facing Calvary, when he was facing the cross. But worse than that, very close one within his group would be the one that would betray him. 
So when you turn to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 27, earlier it says, Judas asked him. With all that being said and done, when you turn to 27, and he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to his disciple. Gave thanks for what you're about to go through. You know what is so remarkable is Paul never saw this first then, but by the Spirit he saw it. And so he writes it down when it comes to what the Lord had instituted. But listen to what the word uh, Paul is saying and the word in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians and verse 23. And look at the word. The night in which he was betrayed. Excuse me? That's a time you should be in gloom. That's a time you should say, that's it, God, you have forsaken me. But when you turn to verse 24, it simply says, when he had given thanks, the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus gave thanks. This is the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set for... That was no joy. That was sorrow. But for the Lord Jesus, it was the joy that he could give thanks to God. That is true thankfulness. Paul writes about it so often. Because Paul begins a marvelous way, but look at how he closes 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, which gives us the victory through Jesus. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Very powerful words. You know, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 12, look at the way in which he gives thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in high. Now, what is remarkable is as you read these passages, it's very important we understand what it means. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse, uh, I believe, 11 probably, tells us, rooted, build up in him. Not only rooted, built up in him, established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding there with, with thanksgiving. Not only should be rooted and grounded and built, but the result is abounding in thanksgiving. This is so important. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, he begins the letter to Philippians by saying, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then he tells us something about praying. And this is from what he observed, from what Luke told him about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, look at the way in which he talks about prayer and supplication. And then he says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God with thanksgiving. Don't just simply beg and cry, but give thanks to God because he's God that has done so much. Think about it. Our prayer becomes so important when you think God has never failed me. God has always been faithful. He will be faithful today and he will be faithful every day. Give the Lord a clap offering. First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, again, he's giving thanks to God for the folks who have received the message, the word of God. He's so grateful. He thanks God. But what I want us to, before I conclude, is simply this. 
that he's telling us something very profound, that thankfulness must be and should be the manner of the life of every one of us. We have to learn that. It's hard. But he expounds that in Colossians chapter 3, and listen to what he says in verse 17. Whether in deed or in work, word, do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, do all things, do all things, not something, but all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Giving thanks to God. It's very, very important. Now let me just say this. We are going through some very rough times. I know even as we come to this Thanksgiving, I just want to say this. There will be an empty chair for some of you all. For others, there will be time where there is lack of it with all that crisis happening today. How do you respond to this? The wise man writes in Ecclesiastics, and this is very important for us to understand. This is the cross of the whole message in chapter 7 and verse 13 and verse 14. Think. Think to thank God. What should I think? Consider. Think the work of God for who can make that straight which he hath made crooked. So get to understand the straight. Come to the point. Maybe it's hard for us to realize it, but think just for a moment. What is there to think? In verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. You are grateful. I'm full. I got a promotion. I got a job. I've got everything. But in the day of adversity, consider, think. Maybe Thanksgiving in a day of adversity. Just think. God also has set the one against the other. You have had your high days. You will have your low days. You had your low days. You will have your high days. God gives you the hills and the valleys for a reason. We're not home in heaven. Just in case we are high and we think we got it all. I don't need God. You go down and we say, God, I need you. And God says, okay, let me build you up. This is part of life. And what he says is set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. That we should not say everything about me. We always must be grateful in good time or in bad time. And Paul says, I know the principle because I have understood the state of being content, no matter whether in full or whether empty. I want to realize what's so important is, is this what Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 says, all things work together for good. Bad things and good things, they combine together. Everything is working out for good for those who love the Lord. And you need to understand, it's not because God has abandoned you. God is teaching us, whether you are in high, don't forget God. And when you are low, don't forget God. God is going to mix match together. Everything is going to be well. Give the Lord a clap offering. You know, something about Job you find in chapter 20 you find that he lost it all, whether it's family is uh, basically possession and then his health. And what does he do in chapter 1 and verse 20? He shaves his head, but the most important thing, he falls upon the ground and begins to worship the Lord. Look at his words in verse 21. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. He doesn't know what's going on in heaven. His wife said, just curse God and die. He said, how could I curse God and die? I've enjoyed all these years. 
And now if he is going to do what he is going to do, I will receive that as well because he is worthy to be praised. It is wonderful to come to that realization. Listen to this. God is an unchanging God. He loves you. Malachi chapter 3.16. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is so important for us to realize that. And what we need to recognize in, in all things, give praise. You know, Paul and Silas had great times, and yet they were in prison in chapter 16 and verse 25, and they began to worship the Lord. They began to sing unto the Lord. But let me close with Acts chapter 27, and I want you to read a party that they had, a Thanksgiving party. No, 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 not in a five-star hotel, in a place that is a ship about to sink. In fact, the ship basically broke when it hit the rock. But let me tell you a story. But before I do that, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 27 and verse 35 and verse 36. I'll come to that in just a moment, but let me read this. When he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. In the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. He was having a feast. It's called Thanksgiving meal. What do you think the others do? Who have been fretting, who have been crying, who are wanting to commit suicide, who want to kill the prisoners, who want to empty their lives. They were so upset and sad. It's a gloomy day for them. It is the worst nightmare they had faced. But because of what they had heard from Paul and what they had seen in Paul in verse 36, listen to this. Then they all were of good cheer they also had a party. There are two sets of people in the ship going down. One with people who know the Lord having a meal. And the others too responding to have a meal and say National Day of Turkey or Thanksgiving. Let's sit together both in the same boat. But I want you to understand, it becomes very important for Paul to proclaim what God is doing that brings cheer to others who know nothing but the history of being sung. But it brings together two people. One is able to show for the thanksgiving of God, and the others are being cheerful. Oh my God, I didn't know what it was. Now I know. I want to enjoy. It's good cheer. Let me just tell you the story. Paul, because of what took place, you know, in 23 and verse 11 of Acts, God had told him, you will have to go to Rome. So he's on his way to Rome, and he's caught at the wrong ship at the wrong time, maybe what we would think about. No, it's all in right thing. But in the, to put the story mildly, they set out, it was fair weather, and soon it was foul weather. Things turned around, it was typhoon, it was called the Northeaster, and hit them so bad. And for 14 days, they didn't know whether it's day or night. It was total, complete bizarre. Everything was flying apart. And suddenly, the people were thinking of the worst. It was at that time, Paul stood up. And you can read that in 27, verse 30, 23. Let's read that, 24, 25, and verse 26. Here in this chapter, the night he says, say, he said to them, fear not. God, the angel said, thou must be brought before Caesar. Understand this word. You must be brought before Caesar. And look, God has given you all that 
will sail with you. You're going to go to Rome. No matter what happens, you will see Rome. You will see the Caesar. In the next verse, in 24, it says, Wherefore, sir, be of good cheer. I'm on my way to Rome. This thing is not going to stop me from doing the will of God. I want to talk about God who is sovereign, God omnipotent, God omnipresent, and God who knows all things, and there's the divine providence. doesn't matter. You're going to do what God tells you to do. He says, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told to me. I have to go to Rome. It doesn't matter what happens. Stay with me. We all will go to Rome. Just trust me because I have a word. In the next verse, verse 26, Howbeit we must cast upon a certain island before we go to Rome. And that is powerful. The story is as they went down, they looked, it was 25 fathom, then it was 15, then it was 10. They knew that it's almost the end. But it was this time that Paul begins to break bread because he says everything is going to be good. Let's have a thanksgiving in the ship. No lives are going to be lost except the ship. Let's just have a thanksgiving meal. I wanted to know it could be a somber mode, like Titanic sinking. No, it's not. Let's read that now in the context where the ship is about to sink. And chapter 27 and verse 35. What does Paul do? He's openly proclaiming he took the bread. Thursday you'll be taking the bread, the turkey, and whatever goes with it. And you'll be breaking, giving thanks to God in the presence of all who may not know the Lord. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And what do you think the others are doing? The ship is going down. Things have changed in their life, in the sinking ship. And when you turn to verse 36, they began to be joyful and they partook of this thanksgiving meal. None of their lives were taken. Everyone was spared. And they were joyful. Now I want you to understand this very important. As we celebrate Thanksgiving, Psalm 26 and verse 7 is very important. Thanksgiving is publishing. And Thanksgiving is telling people how God has been good to me. And I want to stand here and proclaim, I thank God. That I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving, tell all of his wonderful work. It's a national holiday. Take this opportunity to break bread and stand up and say, I want to say thank you, Lord. He saved me. He lifted me. He healed me. He delivered me. I want to say what he's done for me, he can do for you. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.